Well, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Galatians chapter 5 into chapter 6. Galatians 5, 25 to 6, 5. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, is anyone, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. It's God's word for his people today. You may be seated. And let's pray now once again and ask for God's help. Father, we woke up today in frail bodies, in a fallen world, with lots of things coming at us, lots of things weighing on us, Lots of needs presenting themselves. But we're gathered here today in this room by your Spirit because there is one thing above all we need, and that is your Word to show us Christ, to give us life. And so we pray that we would know that more than bread, we need you to feed us. So be our Good Shepherd and lead us through the life-giving pages of your word so that we would know you and love you and follow you, we pray for your glory. Amen. Uh, If you were here last Sunday, we began uh, with a scenario of a non-Christian asking you how your weekend was, and part of your answer included worshiping with the church today, and so they then in turn ask you, what's it like being a Christian? And whether you're talking to a non-Christian or a non-Christian, how would you answer that question, what's it like? What's our life like? It's both easy and hard to answer because while many things may come to mind, how can you really summarize what our life is like, especially for someone who isn't a Christian? Well, God's one-word answer in Galatians 5 is freedom. To be a Christian is to live in freedom from the law, sin, and death, freedom to live in communion with God and the Spirit, and freedom of belonging to Christ now and forevermore. So if Galatians 5 ended there, we'd conclude that the Christian life is individualistic, that God's saving purposes are about God and you. But Galatians 5 doesn't end there because that would be out of step with the entirety of Scripture. Our God is triune, and he has existed in perfect perfect community from eternity. He created humanity to live in relationship with him and one another. And sin entered the world and broke both those relationships, but God always had a plan to display his glory and grace and saving a people for his own possession to live with him and one another as their God. 
And throughout the Old Testaments, the prophets foretold of a day when the nations would flow into Zion and the presence of God to live together. Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is like being called into a wedding feast where we feast and celebrate together. Revelation uh, teaches history hurdles towards a marriage supper of the Lamb, a great feast that occurs when God gathers his innumerable number of people to himself who will worship him together forever. And our service today concludes with a foretaste of that meal where we'll eat and drink together in anticipation of Jesus' returns. Friends, the Christian faith is a communal faith. Now, that doesn't mean it has no bearing upon us as individuals. It it does mean that every blessing of God's salvation that focus on the individual ultimately point to a greater end, that God redeems us so that we might walk in the Spirit for his glory together. So so in other words, brothers and sisters, Jesus sets sinners free not to live for themselves or unto themselves or for them just to live with God, but God redeems sinners. Jesus sets sinners free to a life for God, to a life with God and others. And our section in Galatians this morning gives us two things that then shape the Christian life together. One is a negative that we're called to avoid because it kills community. And one is a community builder. The community killer is conceit. And the community builder is bearing one another's burdens. So conceit to avoid and a positive to aim after together, bearing one another's burdens. So first, community killing conceit. Look at verses 25 and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now this particular word here translated conceit uh, means working to have an inflated self-perception. You, you work at it. Uh, conceit of any kind is wrong, but it comes in different forms. Some people have an inflated self-perception because they're blindly prideful. M- maybe that things just always go well for them. The sun always comes up in the morning. Or they're, they're very smart and talented, well-connected, so things never really seem to go wrong for them. And they just blindly attribute it to just how amazing they are. Okay, So it's not morally okay. It's just more of a passively blind conceit. But the word here in verse 26 aims at the person who works at it. They they work at having their inflated self-perception be everyone's perception of them. It's not enough for them to think highly of themselves. You have to think highly of themselves too. (laughs) So they boast and strut their stuff every chance they get. Uh, these are the, the kind of people who make every conversation about them. Uh, when you're in a group of people talking, they always have a story to outdo every other story being told, of which they just happen to be the hero. Things like that is what this word is getting at. And this kills community in the church 
Because we're not a community about you. We're a community brought together in Christ. We were once far off, but have now been brought near to one another in Jesus. And so we're not here because of our affinities or our hobbies or our life stages, even though it's nice to have fellow Christians that have those things in common. We don't gather around a personality or a political tribe. We're people who should have no business gathering together in light of all that we don't have in common. And yet, here we are. Because we've been gathered together, not by any of those earthly things, but by the blood of Jesus. And so the gospel opposes and destroys all kinds of conceit in God's people, but this particular kind of conceit in Galatians 5 is in the crosshairs because it's completely out of step with the Holy Spirit. Because why does the Spirit exist? What does the Spirit do? The Spirit exalts Christ, So if the Holy Spirit is animating your life, if it's powering your life, if you're a person who keeps in step with the Spirit, then what you'll work at is making much of Christ, not yourself, because the Spirit works to exalt Christ. Brothers and sisters, for freedom, Jesus has set you free, which in the context of conceit means don't seek your worth and value in what you think of yourself. Don't seek your value or self-worth in what others think of you. Find your worth and value in what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus says about you. He loved you and gave himself for you. So build your life and your self-worth and your value on the gloriously good news of the gospel. If you don't, you'll become conceited. And conceit then turns into two things that kill Christian community. It's provoking one another and envying one another. How do you know if conceit, rather than the fruit of the Spirit, is growing in your life? Well, you're a person who provokes and a person who envies. Provoke has a wide range of meaning. It can be the slight, kind of passive, uh, irritating each other, irritating others, always kind of needling at people, all the way to all-out instigating open conflict. Uh, So again, in the context, because your identity is wrapped up in this self-inflated perception that you want everyone to have about you, because your identity is wrapped up in what others think of you, you are quick to provoke others when they don't give you the recognition you need from them to feel okay. And so whether you then put others down to build yourself up in front of people, or you make someone the butt of your joke so others think you're funny, or you diminish their accomplishments publicly to shine a light on your own accomplishments, whatever of the myriad of ways it might come out in the reality of our daily life together, provoke is to work to make yourself shine to a point of causing anger and conflict. And again, this is quite easy to see how this kills community because what's happening is your ego, your inflated self-perception 
is getting puffed up so largely that it's blocking our community's view of Jesus. We're supposed to be a community fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and yet you're working so everyone sees you. Jesus is the sole reason for our life together from beginning to end. And so provoking is this idea that you're actually working against the Spirit so that others exalt you and not Jesus. Now, the, the, the flip side of provoke is envy. Because provoke is more external, uh, envy begins internally. You're bitter and jealous of what others receive or have because your pride demands that you get what you think you deserve. And so envy plays out like this in the Christian community. You can't rejoice with those who rejoice because you're bitter when someone gets something you think you deserve. And rather than weeping with those who weep, you are either indifferent, and the most times that's how it plays out publicly. You're, you're, you're publicly kind of detached or distanced from your brothers and sisters who are in, a, who are in mourning or at, at loss. You're, you kind of are indifferent to it, but internally, envy plays out in you actually rejoice when others weep because you either think they're finally getting what they deserve or you're happy that you're not doing that because you're doing pretty well so obviously you you don't deserve what they're getting so when conceit is in the church it it actually ends up with this envy that it results in division and destruction of our relationships with one another because it's completely out of step with Jesus and life in the spirit. Listen to Philippians 2. Do nothing from self-ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Envy, conceit, provoking one another, completely out of step with Jesus in life in the Spirit. And actually, if the Spirit is at work in you, if you're keeping in step with the Spirit, the Spirit will produce its fruit in our lives that we looked at this summer. And you'll increasingly reflect the beauty of Jesus' love, his love for and his service of his bride, the church. As the Spirit produces its fruit in our lives as we aim to keep in step with the Spirit, we'll increasingly repent of the prideful conceit that destroys biblical community. And rather than having that define us, will begin to be shaped by our love for and service of one another as Christ first loved us and served us. And brothers and sisters, this is only possible by the grace of God. You and I can't do this on our own, which is why verse 25 begins with, if we live by the Spirit. It's, it's only by the Holy Spirit's power in us and through us that we can live this way because this cannot be done in the flesh. 
But the good news is Jesus has already set us free from the flesh. This is already ours. This mindset is ours in Christ Jesus. So walk in the freedom you already have in Jesus. And by the Spirit, may the shape of our life together not be marked by conceit, but by humbly loving and serving one another. So that's what we are to avoid. But the Bible doesn't just say, don't do this. We have a positive to aim after. So yes, let's turn away from conceit, but what do we turn towards? How do we humbly love and serve one another? Well, secondly, Paul moves to a community builder, the community builder bearing one another's burdens. Look at chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the key central command of uh, verses 1 to 5, this call to bear one another's burdens. It's a specific command that Christians come alongside each other in order to help shoulder the load of whatever is weighing them down in life, particularly sin, which is making it difficult for them to follow Jesus. Bear one another's burdens is the thing that is shaping our life together. So when you think of ways you would define the church, if you're talking to someone about what the Christian life is, would bearing burdens be a way you'd describe it? Or would our ministries or programs come to mind first? Or maybe our music styles or how many people are around or the things we do or what we believe? Now, of course, those things impact the shape of our life together, especially our beliefs. I mean, Galatians 1 to 4 are all about getting the gospel right. But you see, the evidence that you have the gospel right is that you live a life in step with the Spirit, which, as chapter 6 begins, is a life of bearing one another's burdens. Now, let's be honest for a moment with each other. Bearing burdens does not sound like freedom. It does not sound fun. It does not sound like what most, or excuse me, it does sound like what most of our world tries to avoid. We work hard at not getting involved in people's burdens. We have a great affinity and we are super talented at not getting involved in people's business. We don't often begin our days looking for other burdens to bear. We have enough of our own. And, and in that sense, we also work very hard at not being a burden to others. But, but brothers and sisters, that's actually born out of conceit, too. That's That's pride. Listen to John Stott. He's an English pastor, and he wrote this at age 88. I sometimes hear old people, including Christian people who should know better, say, I don't want to be a burden to anyone else. I'm happy to carry on living so long as I can look after myself. But as soon as I become a burden to others, I would rather die. But this is wrong. We are all designed to be a burden to others. <laughs> you are designed to be a burden to me, and I am designed to be a burden to you. The life 
of the local church family should be one of mutual burdensomeness. <laughs> now, when I am asked, I'm, uh, several elders and our wives are uh, traveling uh, today uh, to the Gospel Coalition Conference in Indianapolis, and we'll spend a few times, and I'll inevitably be, uh, inevitably be asked, what's your church like? And it's usually not this what they want to hear. And it's, it's actually a, a, a thing that I have to put down in myself because we want to talk about how, how great the church is, right? We, we don't really like talking about how needy we are. Well, my church is mutually burdensome. People would be like, uh, I'm going to go, uh, sorry, i got to get a cup of coffee real quick before the next session starts. You know, we, we don't think of this in that term. We don't, we don't want to be needy. <laughs> we don't want to invite people. We don't, we're, not getting, we're not getting up in the morning looking for burdens to bear. And yet the shape of our Christian life together is mutual burdensomeness. It's bear one another's burdens. If the Spirit is active in you, if you're keeping in step with the Spirit, bear one another's burdens. Because that's actually a mark of a church walking in step with the Spirit. And verse 1 gives a main way we do this. Not the only way, but in Galatians 6.1, that the context is the main way that we bear each other's burdens. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And again, the word brothers has a wide range of meaning. It can literally mean brothers, but it can also be used broadly as a family word, siblings. And so the context determines the meaning, which chapter 5, teaching on sinners' freedom in Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit, means Paul does not have only males in mind here, but everyone whose faith alone is in Jesus alone. In other words, God is calling the entire church to bear each other's burdens by coming alongside those who are caught or or confess gratifying the desires of the flesh rather than walking with the spirit so caught means they they are either caught by someone or the spirit comes on them and they publicly confess to you that they've been gratifying the flesh not walking in the spirit and the word transgression means it's any thought or word or deed that violates god's will and so a main way we bear each other's burdens is to come alongside those who are confessing or caught in sin to live aligned with God's will rather than against it. And that's hard work. <laughs> because sin is much more than just the action. It's also the heart of the action. Our desires are in view here. That's what the word restore gets at. Re restore means to return to a place of wholeness. So it's just not doing something. It's getting to a place of fullness, of flourishing, of wholeness again. In the New Testament uh, days, it was used of mending torn fishing nets uh, so that they were useful again. So in that sense, sin has ruined us. Our desires are ruining us, and we need each other's gospel help to mend us, to call us to repent and turn from sin and our sinful desires, to figure out why I was going after that, what my heart was aimed for, why I went after this idol rather than God, and then to return to Christ 
and to have a desire to have him and to live for him alone in the freedom Jesus gives me. That's what restore means. And so burden bearing is personal and sacrificial help. And so while we bear each other's physical and material burdens, we see that in the New Testament, we're called here in, one, in, in this sense because it can't only be physical and material burden bearing if our life is to be shaped by the Spirit. We will care for one another. We, we will share our resources. We will steward them, and God asks us. But it can't be only that if our life is shaped by the Spirit. Because in one sense, it's easier, isn't it, if burden bearing is just physical or material. If it's just telling someone, stop it, don't do that. If, if, it's, if it's just those things, I can give money, I can hire someone, I can send DoorDash this afternoon with some food, and I can get on with my day. And then I can also just say, don't sin, and then walk away, <laughs> and, and just go about life uh, how I'm hoping to spend it. But that's not life in the Spirit. Bearing someone caught in sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, oh, and things like these. Helping someone who is either caught in or confessing that they are gratifying the flesh and not walking in the spirit takes a lot of time and energy. It takes a lot of time and energy to have them get out of those things, to restore them to a place of wholeness, to let the gospel penetrate deep into their hearts, for us to pick them up alongside and walk them back to the spirit in the power and freedom of Jesus. That takes a lot of time and energy. And so why would we do it? Why would you come to a place that's aiming for that when there's lots of other places you could go to? Probably hear a better preacher Sing, sing songs that maybe you'd rather sing and not have people look around you going, can you help me, please? Why, why would we do this? Why get down into the muck of it all? Because that's what Jesus did for us. And that's why verse 2 says, bearing burdens fulfills the law of Christ. And Jesus told his disciples on his last night before he was Crucified, a new commandment I give you in John 13. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Well, and that's not just the feeling. It's not just sentiment. You love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What shapes our Christian life together? It's love. And how did Jesus love us? Galatians 2.20. I love that Laura referenced that in her baptism this morning. He loved you and gave himself for you. Now, we don't go to the cross for each other as Jesus did for us, but we carry one another to the cross because love isn't a feeling, it's action. And so the shape of our life together is humble love, that bears one another's burdens so that we walk together in step with the Spirit. 
And that's why this restoring has to be done by those who are spiritual. And that does not mean Pastor Mike or other elders or me. That doesn't mean, oh, you go see those guys. Or, that, or, or it doesn't mean someone who you think is very pious. Like on the outside, they give three times a day. Uh, they pray three times a day. They never eat because they're always fasting. And they have the entire Bible memorized. That is not what spiritual means. Spiritual means of the Spirit. It's an adjective. It just means someone who's walking in step with the Spirit currently, which should be all of us. Someone who's already on the path of walking with the Spirit. So they're able to help someone who's wandered off of that path back onto it. That's what spiritual means. It's not something reserved for someone who we think has got it all together. It's for everyone who knows they haven't got it all together and they're in the Spirit, walking with the Spirit to Jesus who has set us free. So that's that restoring work that we're called to do. And we're called to do this in two ways. Gently and humbly. Gently and humbly. First, we restore gently. And what this is getting at is uh, before we confront someone either caught in sin or we respond to someone who is confessing sin, we must decide that I'm going to do this in compassion and love. We have to first set ourselves in the right posture. Only, uh, we're only ready to bear their burden when we're ready to do it in love. And only when we do it in love will you actually be able to be gentle. And you have to make this decision beforehand because once you get into it, you may face resistance or denial or re uh, excuses. You might even be falsely accused yourself. Oh, you think you're so much better than me. Or what do you think? You've never sinned before. You're going to get into it. And if you're going to battle with the flesh, the, your flesh is then going to be tempted to rear its ugly head. And the only way you restore with the Spirit's fruit of gentleness and not respond in the flesh is if you love them like Jesus loved you. And you're going to do in love whatever it takes to walk with them back to Jesus. Even take their flesh lashing out at you. And that's why only the spiritual can restore. Have you ever tried to talk someone out of sin? Or you plead with them to come back? Do your arguments work? <laughs> have you ever, I mean, have you ever tried? It's because only the Spirit can break the power of sin. It's not your pleading. We're not called to go with really tight arguments that are very persuasive. Only Jesus sets sinners free. It doesn't mean we don't have a part to play. It means you're not the main actor. And so we go in the gentleness of his spirit, calling them out of sin, and then be ready to be used to do whatever it takes to walk with them back to Jesus in love. And it's only when you do that in love that you're ready to be gentle. The second way we restore one another is humbly. Humbly. Look at the end of verse 1. Keep, a, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so, so once you decide to go in love, and the Spirit's fruit of gentleness 
is flowing through you, we, we must be humble, lest you too be tempted. Now, this could mean that you need to be careful when you get into it that you don't end up sinning the same way the person who's caught in sin is sinning. But verse 3 actually reveals it's, it's more than that. Of course, of course you shouldn't end up sinning the same way someone else is. But I don't think that's the main point. Look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So you see, Paul is tying these ideas together of bearing one another's and conceit. We go in love and in humility and gentleness, not in conceit or pride that you're going to someone caught in sin because you're better than they are. If you don't go in love and in the spirit of gentleness, but rather go thinking you're God's gift to this person in the moment, you deceive yourself. You can't break the power of sin. Only Jesus sets sinners free. And so we go, or excuse me, we can't go pridefully thinking, good thing I'm not like them. Hey, remember how much I'm helping out your people down here, God. You know, they're so blessed to have me. We go humbly. We go humbly because if not for the grace of God, you too would still be on your hellbound path. And so the way to stay humble isn't actually thinking less of yourself. It's actually keeping your eyes on Jesus. It's not belittling, belittling yourself or riding yourself or thinking less of yourself. It's to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the point of verses 4 to 5, which can be very confusing. They're some of the most confusing verses in Galatians. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. You're like, wait a minute, you just were boasting now? You just told me not to boast. For each will have to bear his own load. Like, wait a minute, you just told me to bear each other's loads. Now you're telling me to bear my own. It seems like Paul is contradicting himself here. But the language of verses 4 and 5 are taken from Old Testament prophets and Jesus' teaching that everyone will stand before God's judgment seat on the last day. You will have to have a reason to boast on that last day. But you're not going to boast in you, you're going to boast in Jesus. And you will have to bear your own load on that last day. Listen to uh, Romans 14, who quotes Isaiah. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written from Isaiah, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then Paul writes this in the conclusion. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so Paul, in the, his letter to the, the Roman church, says that when Jesus returns, using Old Testament language, everyone's going to stand before God alone. You won't be able to compare yourself to someone else on that last day. So when we go to someone now, don't go thinking something of yourself when you're actually nothing. Because on the last day, I'm not as bad as they are, God, is not going to fly before the judgment seat. So don't believe that lie today. Grow not in conceit, but in humility. And humility grows as we remember that we all are heading towards a day when we, each one of us, will stand before God's judgment seat. And you're going to be weighed, not against the standard of others, but against God's standard of perfect 
righteousness. And that's terrifying news. Unless you know the good news of the gospel. Unless you're not going to go before that judgment seat boasting in your perceived righteousness or hoping that you at least make that last cut. I'm better than half the people in here. That's got to count for something. No, we go boasting that what God demands on that last day, he has provided in Jesus Christ. The standard is perfection, but praise God, what's true of Jesus becomes true of you by faith alone in Jesus. And so because we are heading towards a day when our only boast is Jesus, we boast of him now. We keep our eyes fixed on him now. We don't go bearing each other's burdens thinking we're pretty special and fantastic. We don't even do it in the moment going, thank God that I am not like one of these sinners. We bear burdens knowing Jesus first bore ours and that he sent us to help one another bear each other's burdens because he is alive in us by the power of the Spirit. And that's why we go both gently and humbly We go humbly to restore a brother or sister, knowing that apart from God breaking into our life, and unless Jesus had set us free first, and unless the Spirit was giving us power to live in that freedom, how lost would you be? We would be lost and dead in sin. And so, brothers and sisters, the shape of our life together is mutual burdensomeness. I'd love for us to get to a point where someone asks you, what's five points like? And you say, we are mutually burdensome to one another. (laughs) And that you actually love it. So don't give any room to grow, uh, for conceit to grow in your heart. We can be mutually burdensome to one another because it's not about us. It's about the shape of our life pointing to the one who bore our burdens first. That God saved us from a life of sin into a life of mutual burdensome so that we help one another follow Jesus until our last day on this earth or the last day comes. And so let me close with just three brief applications. Three brief applications. One, others need you and you need others. Others need you and you need others. So when you come into a gathering at five points, don't come looking for what someone can first give to you. Come in the spirit of Christ who first came to us, who first come, came looking to bear our burdens. So, so say hello to your friends, but we have a slide at the beginning of our service from Romans that says welcome one another as Christ first welcomed you. Others need you and you need others. The only way that this begins to happen, this mutual burdensomeness, is if all of us don't wait for someone else to bear a burden. Then we'll all just continue waiting for someone to make the first move. So when someone asks you, how are you doing, and you're not doing okay, share it. And that leads to my second point. Listen. (laughs) Be ready to listen. Don't be shocked if you ask how you're doing and someone in a place that's supposed to be mutually burdened someone gives you a burden to bear. Don't revolt. (laughs) Be ready to listen. And part of listening is not just uh, assuming. 
Don't, don't just assume that you know the answer in the moment when someone starts to share a burden with you. Listen to them. Pray. Learn. And then ask how you might walk with them back to Jesus. How you might help them heavenward. How we might help them on the path of walking in step together with the Spirit. When someone opens themselves to you, don't assume. Listen and pray. And then take them by the arm and walk with them back to Jesus. That's number two. And number three, then, for that to happen, you must be present. You can't bear a burden if you're, you're not here. If others need you and you need others, then make the decision to be present when we gather. But bearing a burden demands more than just your presence. Because we can be present and actually not here. We, we know that a lot uh, because of our technology. You might be with someone, but you're not really with them when their phone is in their face. Right? So we know this in other areas. But So when you're present, it's not just about being present. Uh, presence demands an openness in your presence. Be open to bearing a burden. And brothers and sisters, be open to sharing a burden. No one here is strong enough to bear a burden alone because that's not God's design for our life together. And so we can just say it together. I'm not special and neither are you. <laughs> We're not special. We need each other to follow Jesus until our last day or the day we die. So others need you and you need others. That will help our humility. Be present. Be present and open. And finally, when someone does open themselves to you, don't assume you know. Listen and learn and seek the Spirit's help about how you might shoulder into this burden with them. And then let's follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus together, who loved us and gave himself for us to set us free to live together for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray more and more that the shape of our life together would reflect your word. That our love for one another would be seen by those around us. That we would be known as your disciples because of our love for one another. And not just our sentiment or a feeling, but our loving, humbly, gently bearing one another's burdens. And so we pray that you would make us this community so that on our last day or when the last day comes, we would be found walking together with one another for your glory, we pray. Amen.